You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Bianca Del Rio. There are no extras from this conversation. Uh, We put the entire thing uh, into this solid hour uh, that Bianca, or should I say Roy Haylock, or should I say Bianca Del Rio? Because uh, uh, Roy is gratifyingly unprecious about slipping in and out of character despite chatting to me on video and not wearing Bianca's makeup. Um, We're going to talk to everyone's favourite clown in a gown about how she became just an expert at insult comedy, doing these enormous, unstoppable stand-up comedy tour shows all over the world with material that, as we will discover, she never sits down and writes. It's a brilliant conversation with an absolute gem of a person. Uh, I'm really excited to bring you this one. Crucially, uh, if you are at the Edinburgh Festival, and I'm not, more on that in the post if you're at the Edinburgh Fringe, you can see Bianca Del Rio live at the Pleasance, uh, at the EICC, I believe, um, from the 18th of August. Go to Bianca Del Rio unsanitized or Google that or put it into edfringe.com or what's that other one called the something myfringe.com planmyfringe.com that's a cracker and um, or you can find everything you need to by following her socials at the Bianca Del Rio or indeed thebiancadelrio.com no extras from this episode but of course go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to support the show um but let's just get on with this because this is one that in the edit of which i am killing myself laughing it is so much fun this is bianca del rio and or roy haylock i saw you live hosting Oh, God. Um, it was in San Francisco. It was the night me and my wife got engaged. Oh, congratulations. We went, we, thank you so much. It's a long time ago now, but thank yeah. you. Um, we were in San Francisco and it was supposed to be um, Michelle Visage hosting some sort of Battle of the Seasons. Oh, like yes, a, yes, 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 and yes. And you were the host. And yes. you were so good. Was, uh, well, we were fans to begin with. That's why we went. But you were unreal. Oh, well, you are too kind. Oh, you know, it's funny. I said a majority of the gigs that I have gotten in my life has been when someone passed passed on it, couldn't show up or died. So that's always a <laughs> trick for me. I'm always appreciative of any of that. But yeah, it's it's been um, eight whole years since Drag Race, which is crazy to think about when it first aired in America. So yeah. my season was 2014. So it's just been insane what's happened in the past eight years. It's crazy. Can we, I mean, I definitely want to focus on that to yeah. kind of establish who you are for a UK sure. audience. Who, who may be less familiar with you. Okay. Um, that was your kind of break into the 
into the mainstream. Is that fair? I know that you had a yeah, life, no! a, a substantial life before Drag Race. Listen, listen, no one gave a shit before. So the advantage <laughs> was, the advantage was, I think like most performers, you know, you were doing every shitty gig, every horrible place, every, a job was a job prior to Drag Race. And here was this opportunity to, to basically a platform that was just television. And you don't realize how powerful television is until you're on it, you know? And yeah. for, for me, we had filmed it in 2013. It aired in 2014. 14. And at the time I was 37, I turned 38 while we were filming. And I literally thought, you know, hey, at this point, I've done, I think, 17 years of drag. I was like, I'm good. You know, I, I could I could mm -hmm. take it or leave it at this point. Um, it was a, a long haul doing gigs in the middle of the week at two in the morning or one in the morning and 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 having an audience that didn't give a shit about you. So I thought, let me go on this TV show because I had some other friends of mine um, that had been on the show and who were not interesting, talented or funny. And they had success. So I thought <laughs> if this untalented bitch could do it, why don't I try it? And I don't mean like, oh, I called them up and wanted to be on it. I still had to audition like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But I I thought, you know, if this was the end, this is a great run. I've enjoyed it and I can move on. And it did quite the opposite. It just opened the doors. And, and here it was, every opportunity that came my way, whether it be television or stage or doing this gig or doing that gig, I said yes to it because it was a chance to just get back out there. I was old enough to know better and know that mm -hmm. this doesn't last forever. And um, you just need to run with it and you need to find a way to get to the audience. Because we live in a digital age now where, you know, obviously if you're on television every day, you probably have more traffic. But the game was for me to go out and do a show in every city or any venue that would that would want me. So that really kind of opened the doors for me is finding those people. And when you I saw Rolodex of Hate and I remember I you saying that you oh, uh, when when um, when you did Drag Race, you didn't have social media. No, so I you didn't. kind of you were on the show, and then you suddenly had to go. Oh Christ! I've got to get the sales up and catch the wind, right? Yeah, completely. And and that was, I think, that's where the the years before Drag Race paid off. You know, you 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 know how it is. You're doing and you're working, and you're thinking it's leading to nowhere. Two things. What it happened during that time was basically a skill set is one thing. Um, mm -hmm. Also, just accepting whatever's in front of you, which is part of your skill set, to be honest. But in <laughs> yeah, the end, uh, but but in the end, just realizing, oh, I this is this is a golden ticket. I need to run with it, and it doesn't last forever. So with that, it was just go out and and run and do it. You know, so that mm -hmm. ba basically became the the drive to do it. You know, and yeah. what's the good of sitting at home and 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 saying, oh, I've done this. How lovely no keep going improving yourself and getting out to that audience yes and you're in the middle of a tour at the moment which is absolutely colossal so yes. since drag race you have again like you quickly found your feet with social media yes and you employed your like as as you say i mean we're similar ages when yeah. that moment comes along I've been doing comedy 17 years and there I know you, go. I, you get little glimmers. You're like, yes. oh, that was one and that's another yeah. there and they don't yeah. last. Yeah. So, so to seize hold of it, you've clearly torn into it with tremendous energy. Well, and, and that's where the social media comes in. I just realized I didn't answer your first question. But yes, I had just a Facebook scenario and I, I was doing, you know, Facebook and I might have had uh, Facebook as myself, as Roy, and then I had one as Bianca because that was the thing to do then. And then Facebook started banning all of us because our names weren't oh, real. Because the but, names, I remember that happening, yeah. yeah. Crazy shit. So then um, with it, uh, they, you know, they suggested while I was on the show for you to get an Instagram together for you to put this out. And I'm like, okay, okay. Not knowing what to expect. Mm. Honestly, and even in America, I 
I just assumed, okay, my friends in New York would watch, my friends in New Orleans would watch, some people in California, not knowing the global impact. Because for us at that time, this was the only incarnation of Drag Race that was happening, was the American version. So everybody else was watching a pirated, downloading some freaky other version. Uh, so I didn't even think about the UK or thinking about anything beyond America. Australia, what? Impossible. Asia, forget it. And with it, um, it, it opened the doors. So with that, I started with a, my first tour, which is Rolodex of Hate. And currently I'm on my fifth solo tour. And with each year, it's it's gotten bigger, more cities and more opportunities. I mean, right now I'm on my 102nd performance of this show that started last August. We did America, all over America, which was scary um, because I just didn't expect to have an audience after the pandemic. You know, you're sitting at home for a year and a half, two years, and you're thinking, this is it. You know, no one's going to come see me. No one gives a shit anymore. People are dying. This is serious. But then they came out in droves. So we did America. We did Canada. We did South America. We did the UK. We did Europe. Uh, I'm about to go to Amsterdam. And then I had to uh, Asia and Australia and South Africa. So yes, I'm the person to go, what the fuck? And how did this happen? It's it's That's the power of social media there, you know, and also because I'm not on any television show or anything currently it's literally yeah. just been touring for the past eight years and that's the thing one of the one of the 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 cards i think you've played very well is you know exactly what you're best at and you yes. do that it's like delegate you know that kind of business thing of like delegate everything you're not incredible at yes you do stand up so talk to me about how i mean i i recognize it's not stand up stand up but it yeah, is stand -up, but, but it is no totally and and, and one of the reasons why i eliminate all the, as I say, fuckery. Uh, the only thing that's that's production is me and drag. I mean, I'm on stage with a table, a curtain, maybe, a light if it turns on. You know, it's literally that. And I try to keep it as minimal as possible because you know when you're in a different place every night and you're dealing with these union people that are working or you're coming in, you got three hours and they don't give a shit. If you have a cue, they don't give a fuck. Like, don't ask, don't plan, don't prepare for it. So strictly, it is me with a microphone in drag. And the only reason why I'm in drag is because I can control that myself. You know, I dress myself, I do my hair myself, I get ready myself. So that's the only thing I can control. So we try to keep it as minimal as possible because it's easiest and frankly, it costs less. <laughs> and if <laughs> anything goes wrong, you don't, you know, you don't lose your shit over it. It's like, yes. this is it. This is you what it's about. You rely yourself. That's so that's, that's, that's very like straight down the line stand up. It's just yeah. you and you solve the problems yourself and anything that comes up is the problems are the material, right? That's, you know, Correct. you're the clown in a gown. That's a clowning staple. That's so it. Talk, talk to me about, like, had you ever done stand up before you started being funny in drag? Had you, you ever you, gone to a stand up club as Roy? No, no, never. And 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 from my perspective, uh, I got into drag basically by doing theater. Uh, and it was a role that they said, can you play this role? And I happened to be there at the time because I was doing wigs and makeup and costumes for a production. Mm -hmm. And the show had several drag queens in it. So they said, would you be interested in playing this small part? And the way it happened was it was a part to cover a costume change. So I literally was supposed to be on stage about three minutes to cover, and they had some <laughs> scripted options. And then okay. I just enjoyed it a little too much. So three minutes went to five minutes, went to seven minutes, went to eight minutes. And now I'm venturing into 12 and 15 minutes. And that was kind of where it snowballed. Cut to me then working at the local gay bar, because that's really the only place you could find drag queens, was a gay bar, maybe a cabaret space and a small theater. Because um, I started in 
1996 when the gay people didn't even like us. So this was way back when. <laughs> is that and, is that right? Just oh, just on that for a second, is that right? Yes, gay men were horrible to drag queens back in the day. They didn't care about you out of drag. They didn't want to hear your story. They wouldn't date you. They there were certain bars I couldn't even go in if I was in drag. So yeah, I had no idea that was an element. Oh, of the shady, culture. shady, shady. Yeah. So now I find it quite amusing that they're you know running out of a bar, hanging off of a balcony, anything to get a selfie with me. And I'm like, I haven't forgotten you fuckers. But yeah. in the game of it, um, at that time, it was just a completely different world. When I went into the gay bars, um, nobody wanted to talk on the microphone. You know, they would they would be a host. They would be six or seven different drag queens that would do different things, most lip sync, dance, or whatever. Uh, some would sing live, but nobody wanted to talk and be the glue to keep the show moving. So cut to me doing a show on a Wednesday night at midnight. Great timing. Mm -hmm. Midnight, uh, 12 o'clock to 1 a.m., depending on how early they got ready, in New Orleans, Louisiana, I was the bitch to talk. And what do you do? You're killing time for people to do costume changes. <laughs> uh, you're killing time to schmoozing with the people in the audience. Uh, and it got really interesting when I would host Drag Bingo in the afternoon at 5 o'clock to 8 p.m. Uh, for whoever was in the bar. Now, you can imagine, if you are an alcoholic and you want to drink at 5 p.m., the last thing you want to hear is a fucking drag queen calling out bingo. But this is where the skill set came in. When you're forced to perform for people that don't want to see you, hear you, or be entertained by you, you definitely learn <laughs> how to get yes. through it. Because I think a lot of comedians listening to this, there will be a lot of hard relating to this. Because yes. that, that, those are the kind of the circumstances. That's the crucible within which you kind of go, I have to survive somehow yep. oh christ yep. what can i do and at least i mean particularly if you've got some sort of loose structure like we're playing bingo yes then you've got a thing that can happen you've got a reason to be there and you can improvise around it so were you were you writing bits at that time you're like okay i've got three hours of bingo were you writing no. anything or was it all freefall it was all free fall. It was nothing written. I didn't, I didn't even consider myself, quote unquote, a comedian until probably a, a good 15, 20 years later. Uh, it was one of these things where it was just what you had to do. You were just dealing with the audience. I knew how much money I was getting paid at the end of the week. I thought this is better than working in a cubicle. Uh, I wasn't selling insurance. I didn't have to be at a bank. I had to be in drag by five o'clock. And let me tell you, 8.01, I had my money in hand and was out that door. So that was just the job and that's what came with it some nights great some nights horrible but okay. what what i started to look at from it was just realizing then if it goes great amazing and you know how it is you tell a joke that works or a scenario that works you will never forget it you're like mm -hmm. i've got it here if you tell a joke that's bad you go never going to do this again but at least i have a great story now to accompany us <laughs> when everything <laughs> went to shit so this is very efficient <laughs> yes and then you go you know one night i told this joke and then you have the story that follows after so it just became it just became my world. You know, you were in, you turned it on, you did it, you were out. Uh, without the pressure, I should say, of, of, of being a comedian with a set amount of time or a set amount of material. Mm. And I have much respect for people that are scripted. I have much respect for someone who is scripted and has to tell it every night and makes it fresh and new. I'm fascinated by people who can write pen to paper and say, this, 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 this is going to work. This is not going to work. I don't work anything like that. So I have much respect for it, but I never considered myself good enough to be 
on that level, if that makes any sense. That's interesting. Yes, I, I kind of have seen parallels with that in different disciplines that are kind of comedy adjacent, whereby, you know, improv people go, oh, I could never do stand-up. And a lot of stand-ups go, oh, I could never do improv. Yeah. Because we're not familiar with the just, we just haven't been in that, we haven't jumped out of that particular plane. And we're like, no, I right. I, I jump out of my plane. And then right, I feel right. safe, you know? Right, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you, and you know what you know. And, and sometimes, uh, especially for me, when I've dabbled in, you know, musical theater back and forth, it's a blessing and a curse because, it's like, oh, how great. You get to go in. You're, you're reciting someone else's words. It's not your pressure. You didn't write it. You just have to deliver it. There's maybe 10 ways you can say this. The director chooses which way you do it, and you're safe. But then, after about a week, your brain's going, oh, I could do this, or what if I did this, yeah, or what if I did that? Yeah, yeah. So you have to find a way to edit yourself. So there are those moments when I go, it's great when it's scripted. Um, obviously, when I'm traveling with this tour now, it is a script and an outline. Uh, it mm -hmm. didn't start that way. Um, it just kind of evolves into it. And because of the travel and, and location, it's, you know, what you talk about in America, they don't give a shit about in the UK. So you just have to find your audience with it. But allow yourself to have those pockets of time to kind of okay. breathe and, and live in the moment, you know? Okay, okay. So the, so the, the writing process, in inverted commas, is more yeah. about having breathing time Yes. And then getting back on stage. So, like, to if we talk about unsanitized, uh -huh. do you when you when you went out, like, do you did you preview it? Like, you presumably kind of you didn't preview it. No, no. Well, this, how many people is, did you play is, the show to for the first? But this time? is crazy. The first night, I think it was what twenty. Uh, was it two thousand? The first night, at least. I mean, <laughs> this is well. That was the size venue that I was in. So the craziness, the, the craziness of it though, and this is going to sound uh, pretty fucked up, is that I like the challenge. I like the challenge. You have a lot in your head. Like you have, I could go here, I could go here, I could go here. I have, you know, COVID to talk about. I, I have RuPaul's Drag Race. I have uh, the politics. I have this, I have this. So there's this, you know, endless array of stuff. If they laugh, when they're laughing, that gives you a couple of seconds to figure out where you're going next. Okay. If they don't laugh, you better have a Rolodex of shit to pull out. So yeah. it's it's like being on a, you know, a tightrope, I guess. You know, you're trying to figure it out. And then after, I always start with more information than I need. And mm. then you see what lands, and then you see what you build around it. You see what they bring to it. Okay. And then you slowly eliminate stuff. So it's important to start with a lot. Uh, not necessarily punchlines, but just a lot of topics that could lead you anywhere. And I yes. think that's, okay. that's where the... Um, audience participation or the you know the 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 openness with an audience you just have to trust mm. them and just because it may not work one night doesn't mean it's not going to work the next night so it it just really varies uh of where you are i'm i'm st i'm just going to stay with this for a second because to go out to 2000 people doing like an hour plus i guess an hour yeah. plus oh, yeah. crowd uh, work uh, plus q and a, and a everything yeah. else um, and so when you say you've got the stuff you've got okay there's covid and politics when you've got okay i've got covid you've like the 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 ideas that you have about covid yeah. like if i would if i were kind of going on with some stuff about a thing that had just happened i'd have probably said something conversationally to a couple of friends and thought oh, this might be something in that made a note you know that kind of like no, nothing you're shaking your well, head well, no, nothing what, no what ends up happening <laughs> this is what happens though is that i guess i don't present it properly to anyone Mm, until I'm mm. on, if that makes any sense, because yeah. I will go, I've got this joke, uh, and it's this, 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 and then I, I'm ready to kill someone if their reaction is, mm. yeah, totally. or, yeah, yeah. or, or they think I'm really seeking advice when they go, well, you should say, shut the fuck up. I'm not asking yeah. you to give me any joke. So yes. for me, it's, it's like in rehearsal, for instance, when I, whenever I've done anything and they're like, okay, we're going to rehearse. I hate, 
I despise rehearsal. First of all, I'm standing there like this, so I feel like an idiot. And I'm telling these jokes that would only work if I'm in drag, and by no means am I some method actor. But I mean, you know the packaging, you know the excitement, you know the adrenaline, you know the moment with people. I know I can get out of a situation. So for me, it's the idea of being in the moment and just flying with it, as opposed to trying to explain to someone, okay, so I'm gonna be dressed like this, and then I'm gonna sure. say this, and then I'm gonna look this way. But I respect people that work that way. It just mm -hmm. never works. It never works for me. So it's more its more for you that the, um, it, it's almost like, it's the, the parallel is more with someone who's like a, a, a freestyle rapper that you go, <laughs> I don't write the stuff. I just, I have trained myself to the extent where I know I can freefall. Well, well to an extent. I mean, you still have to have a setup and, and a topic and, a, and, and somewhat of a joke. Uh, but usually one joke will lead to two or three or, or sure. in the moment. It, I think it just comes back to the skill set where I started, which was you're in the bar, make it work, you know? Mm. And, and so there's, for me, for some people would call that uh, terrifying. For me, I find comfort in that. I find let's, comfort let's in it. Let's talk about that. Okay, yeah. so that's a, So do you, I mean, we look at Bianca Del Rio on stage in front of thousands and go, this is the most powerful person in the room. Well, you, you would hope, you would hope. You would hope. <laughs> <laughs> they paid for it, yeah. So do you, do you feel powerful when you're doing it? Do you well, feel I, more powerful than, you're, than you do right now or like oh, in daily life? Well, I think it's the, uh, well, <laughs> I always say this, when I'm not in drag, they say, oh my God, what a hateful person. You wear a drag, they go hysterical. So it, it's, it's like looking at something in print and then dealing, hearing it being told, you know? Yeah. I, I don't come from a place of here it is structurally and here it is, it's gonna make sense or this might offend somebody. No, I, it, for me, it's in the moment, you go with it. And sometimes you say, ooh, shouldn't have said that. Uh, sure. And people, people- <laughs> I can think of one or two jokes oh, from Rolodex where I'm like, please! Yes, wow. <laughs> yes. And, and it, you know, it's also one of those things where, you know, some people say, you know, I wouldn't say that. I go, but, uh, but in, the, in the gist of it, you go, this is what it is. This is what I know. This this is my story. This is what I'm feeling. Um, that I think if I were to write it and then present it to someone and say, what do you think? It would be a lot of no, 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 no. And yes, it, I okay. think it, it has to go back to, to instinct and when you're in the moment. And, and I mm. think that's just the game. I mean, obviously with each tour, I've learned a lot about setting things up or structurally going, okay, I need at least 40 items that exists, you know? Okay, um, okay. And, and you look at it kind of like, like we were saying before, like with COVID, so here's COVID. What has everybody already heard? What are the obvious jokes about COVID that you've seen or seen people tweet that you go, stay away from that? That doesn't make any sense. So then you try to figure out what would be the most ridiculous scenario that could be presented or what is someone not saying, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it's that torp, it's that type of thing where, uh, I mentioned, I mean, I don't know if I can say it here, but there's this whole thing about the Kardashians and COVID. You know, it was this whole thing about, you know, Kardashians and COVID and, and, and the madness of it. And we were talking about, you know, people on ventilators and people were dying, you know, and I said, uh, you know, I, if I wanted to talk to somebody with a black tube down their throat, I'll call a Kardashian. So, I mean, it's one of those things where in the moment you're saying it, but as Bianca, it makes sense as you're discussing it, where, yes. and you're putting it out there on that level you know yeah um yeah. so it's not so much like well this is my experience with covid you know an absolute gem of a performer and human being more from bianca and roy in just a sec can't keep saying bianca and roy i mean it's bianca del rio isn't it um i often what's something i didn't ask is what would a drag queen like? This isn't the comedy gravestone question, but what would a drag queen like on their gravestone? Would you prefer to be remembered as Bianca Del Rio or as Roy Haylock? I mean, that's 
It's not an easy question to answer, I don't think, and I'm afraid I didn't ask it, but perhaps, I mean, I've got her email. I could just email her. <laughs> so anyway, um, loads more of this uh, to come in just a second. Lots and lots of stuff um, about the nature of offence, about offence in comedy, about the specific way in which Roy very cleverly, not exactly played the system, but kind of... Uh, what is the term? I don't know. We're going to talk about RuPaul's Drag Race in a little more detail and find out exactly how and why she did so incredibly well in the interviews. Absolutely brilliant. We're going to talk about the refusal to tone it down or water it down at all. And we are going to learn the secret of the additional benefits to doing meet and greets before a show. Loads more stuff to come. Remember, go to thebiancadelrio.com or follow her socials at thebiancadelrio. Again, something I should have asked. Given that she wasn't on social media when uh, the show came out, did someone pounce on it, noticing, is someone squatting biancadelrio.com? If they are, they're very naughty and they should give it back immediately. Right, so that's all of that. Now, for the first time since uh, speaking to you in, in months and months... I'm not going to be touting my Edinburgh show because Edinburgh is concluded. For me, the Edinburgh Fringe is over and it burns. It burns. I haven't in 15 years been absent from an existing, thriving Edinburgh Fringe. That just hasn't happened uh, and it pains me. But if you are up there, then, or if you're going up there, from the 18th of August, you can see Bianca Del Rio in her unsanitised tour and it is not safe for work or indeed any form of human consumption, but it is extremely funny. Um, you can find her at the EICC at the Pleasant. So, um, you know, find... Look, work it out. By now, if you're at the Fringe, you know how to find shows. Bianca Del Rio, unsanitised. Give it a bash. Let's get back to this conversation and uh, I will post ambly at you at the end about how sad and bitter I am to no longer be at the Edinburgh Fringe. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So what you mean is almost like Bianca gives you... I'm using your accent now. Which sounds That's fine. Oh, it's good. No. <laughs> Bi Bi Bianca. That's talent. That sounds... That's talent. <laughs> um, when you are Bianca Del Rio, it gives you like in the... Because there is a kind of a, you know, part of your USP is the clown with a gown. Yeah. 
and you often refer to Bianca as like a clown. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make anything like clown makeup, well, but that's that's the thing that people attack you with. They go, oh, sure. like, you know, other queens will go, well, here's a picture of a clown. Look, everyone's oh, Bianca. Yeah. Um, but but in terms of like, if I think back to what I know about clowning, there is something about, you know, the red nose is a tiny mask and it yeah. gives you license and you can say the unsayable and stuff like that. Yeah. So you like that's part of what attracts you to the job is is going i am now a different person and as a result the unsayable things that i want to say are now sayable well i will say it even in real life uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> but 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 i think that's also uh, there's two things i think with all of that i think um it's it's presenting what you choose to present on stage i i think um because they know me so to speak or or got to meet me as a drag queen this is what it is so if the packaging was me as this I would still do it. Uh, it may not work as well because the presentation presents a different thing to the audience. Also, yes. there's this other side of it, you know, with, with with comedy in general, is that people are very fearful about talking about anything because it's going yeah. to offend. It's going to offend. And, you know, as we all know, it, you know, what happens to somebody that gets offended? They die. So it doesn't matter. You know, your offense <laughs> is not the way that I choose to live my life. Maybe I'm not your cup of tea. Maybe you don't get it. Usually the smart people do. But when you go to a comedy show, I go to a comedy show to laugh. I don't go there to be or to look to be offended because everything would offend me if I decided to break it down that way. Um, sure. I, I think it's important that that I'm a joke so they know I'm a joke and that's where it comes from. So by no means am I taking myself seriously or assuming that I'm better than. It's just the packaging as a joke myself. I'm a clown in a wig and I'm here to do this. And, and you can be whatever you want to be, but for an hour and a half, sit with me, then form an opinion, you know, rather than taking something out of a show or taking a line or someone videoing and having a moment. And this is my big, my big problem is that someone can take a punchline and then say, well, you said this and you go, where's the context? Context matters with all of it. Cause you have no idea if it's a running joke, you have no idea what the setup is. Certainly sure. if you choose to just take that one line, you're not getting it. And you already hate me, so you're just running with it because that's your ammunition. And that's where I get I get bothered when people This this sounds like you're talking very specifically about specific events. Like this is a thing. That oh, just everybody. To you, right? Well, everybody yeah. does. You know, we live in we live in this world now where, you know, the phone constantly is here and there, and it's very distracting as a performer number one when you're on stage doing something. Oh, yeah. But also, um, I just in general, it's like in any comedy moment, it, it just you don't have the setup. You don't have the moment to actually set up what you're talking about, you know, and they can interpret and it any also, way they even want. If, even if they had the whole thing, there is a context of a live performance event. Like Completely. this is for these people in the room who have bought into this idea and Completely. have undergone the show up until this point. Right. We all know where we are, yeah, of course. So that, yeah, all of that so context is shown. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where I just find this is the world we live in. You know, people go, oh, well, I bought a ticket, so I have a right to do this. And you're like, no, first of all, it's just very distracting when you see it from, from the audience. Uh, but in the end, uh, there, there's a whole story here. There's a whole setup. There's a, there's, there's a way to go about it. So it is interesting, but but I think also going back to to my origi origins of all this is, is just basically having having an audience that already hates you and you have to win them over <laughs> was a great beginning mm. for me so i wasn't surrounded by people going oh my god i love you i just assume everyone's mm. gonna hate it and then you just have to plow through and then get them on your side so it, it doesn't come from a place of guess what i'm presenting jokes i no. you know now they're paying to see me but i still have the same mindset as what i'm doing 
is that is are the origins of that even pre-performance are the origins of that anything to do with your childhood with oh god of- yeah. oh my family hated me which is brilliant uh now they like me because <laughs> i have a couple dollars but i i don't use it as a crutch you know i you know you learn from it like there's many what, gay men just, just to, let me just pin you down that when you say my family hated me to what yeah. extent are you being glib and to what extent is that really a big like, to, to well, just can you zero in on that? Because I that you talked in Rolodex, you talked a lot about your uh, your family, yeah. and some of it. I was thinking, I'm I'm pretty sure this is a joke. Let's hope. No, you know? I, I think. <laughs> well, I'm the fourth out of five kids, and I'm the oldest boy. Uh, so I have three older sisters and a younger brother. And so in the end, uh, it's like imagine having three normal by society standards children, and then I come along. This insane, not necessarily gay. Uh, I mean, obviously I am, but not necessarily. That wasn't my agenda. Just being a different child, being a child who was outspoken, being a child that was flamboyant, being a child that, you know, everything that I was told not to do as a child is what I'm appreciated for now. So I'm grateful for what's happened and I'm not a victim in any way. And I, unlike most gay people who feel the need to go, my family, I don't give a shit. I don't need their approval. So what I learned, if I learned anything from it is Take what you know, take what you experience and apply it to something that's going to better your life. You know, I'm not trying to seek validation from them. I just go, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'm the same flamboyant, freakish person who thinks of themselves as a child um, working now, you know, so it's it's just kind of, I guess, I don't want to say a skill set, but your armor, you know, you go, yeah, say something about me. There's nothing anyone can say that would offend me or bother me. I go. Yeah, that's I've heard it. And <laughs> so where so talk to me about that about how you cultivated or whether whether that just comes completely naturally to you. Obviously, as you say, a lot of gay men, a lot of drag queens will have backstories in which they were very profoundly hurt by those experiences. Blah, blah, well, blah. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, those yeah. are legitimate stories, no, but sure, you, don't, sure, sure. you don't seem to have that. So is it innate for you that you just, it was all water off a duck's back, to borrow someone else's catchphrase? Yes. Or, or is it is it that you kind of made any decision or any sort of process or had any advice on mindset at some point in your life that made you go, oh, actually... I don't. I mean, I always remember Henry Rollins. I used to be a me. huge fan of Henry Rollins' spoken word stuff. I probably yes. heard it when I was like 19. And just one point he made, he said, if someone hands you a big pile of shit, you don't have to take it. And exactly. it's not unfair to say that slightly oh. changed my life. I went, Completely. Oh, yeah, I've been it thinking about this all wrong. Yeah. Yes, I, I think I think it was just uh, survival. You know, you just go. I mean, it started small. It was like, okay, so these people don't understand me, uh, and, and not that I expected them to. I wasn't trying to change anyone's views, and I, and I just went, okay, this is it. So you're at high school, and you, and you know, you're called a faggot before you even do anything, and then your family doesn't understand you, so you you know, considered to be flamboyant. That's not what boys do. So you start small. Let me just get through high school. Let me just get out of the city. Let me just get out of this. And so you slowly just go to a world where, obviously, at that time, theater was was the group of people who embrace you. And, oh, you get it. Oh, you're talented. Oh, you're capable of doing all this stuff. So it, I think I gravitated towards performance and, and, and costume construction and all of that because it was accepting. And it was able to utilize what, you know, what I knew or what fascinated me or what was my interest. So I think that's kind of snowballed. And with it, I just never looked back. I don't look back on it and think, oh, I've got to figure this out. You just go. If if they call me tomorrow and said, we want you to be a monkey, let's be a monkey. Let's get the monkey costume. Let's figure it out. So, and I think that's just, you know, a way of life. And as I said, with this whole drag thing, I didn't plan to do it this long. I didn't plan. I don't plan doing it forever. Uh, But I go, you know, this is what I'm dealt with right now. And as long as I'm enjoying it and still doing it, 
by no means am I a victim or saddened or thinking, oh, I should have. It does shit. It's done. You know, you just you're just rolling with the punches. You know, and each time you're sitting in a dressing room and there's let's say two thousand people, or when you're doing Wembley and there's thirteen thousand, your brain you go, I have to treat it exactly as I would when I was at a bar with with six people that fucking hated me. <laughs> you just go, you've got to go out there and do what you do and win them over. Because you know how it is. If you overthink it, you know, as a performer, we go, oh, 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 oh. No, you know, the great thing is you do it. It didn't work. You recognize it. And then the next night you can fix it and change it. But you can't do anything about that night that you did it wrong. It's, <laughs> Which is it's, why it's so frustrating when it's been yes, videoed by someone in the phone. Yes, <laughs> exactly. While well, some bitch got their phone and you're like, oh, I forgot three words. Uh, I think that's just where, where you come from it. I think it just goes back from, from the way that it started for me, which it wasn't a conscious effort to go, this is what I'm writing, this is what I'm presenting. I think I would have been completely devastated and highly discouraged early on if that was the yeah. case. Your likability on stage, particularly given, and it's all wrapped up in the awful things you're saying, yes. <laughs> but, and, yet, <laughs> and yet you are so likable. And one of the things, one of the um, comments about you that I've seen over and over again online, you know, YouTube comments and stuff, is that you could tell, particularly on Drag Race, people say this, you could tell that you meant things honestly. Like yes. you, were an, you were an equal opportunities offender. Like you of were course. Just off, you were just vicious to everyone. And yes. so it meant more when you then said to someone, don't worry, you've got this. Yeah. And they were like, oh, Bianca thinks I've got it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it, so, so there is some, I'm not quite sure what the question is, but I think there is some relationship between how clearly kind of nice you are as a, as a core, even if yeah. that isn't visible, we can sort of sense it, we can smell it somehow, that you're basically a good person, despite well, the horrific shit that you're occasionally ex saying. Exactly, <laughs> but, but don't you find the horrific... I mean, being a nice person it has nothing to do with honesty. And where does comedy come from? Truth, you know? Yeah. Why do people laugh? Because they can relate to it, or they can identify with it, or... And, and that's what it is. So even though I can be a nice person, I mean, my assistant's shaking his head, but if you... <laughs> if, you know, being a nice person doesn't take you away from being an honest person, or or having the balls to say it, you know? And yeah. and that's kind of where I, I go. When someone says, oh, well, you know, I just thought you were a bitch. Sure. Because that's what I presented to you. That's what you saw yeah. on stage. But I'm also a real person. I I can't go around all day being a cunt to everyone. Uh, it, it's just the idea that, sure, this is my moment. This is my release. This is what's on my brain. This is what I'm putting out there. I'm not at the post office or at the Starbucks yelling at people. Sure. But on stage, that's where you let it out. And, and so... Um, for people to assume, oh, I didn't expect you to be nice. Well, yeah, well, you're not at my house. You're not living with me on a daily basis. You're not my friend, you know? So you bought a ticket. And I'm also, I'm just not a fan of um, schmaltzly shit, you know? I I'm not mm -hmm. a fan of, oh, I love you. And put it this way, every friend that I've met that's a drag queen, that's like, oh, I love everybody. Everybody's so amazing. They're the nastiest cunt off stage. So <laughs> that I know. I also know anybody who you work with that says, I'm the least problematic person. I'm so easygoing. <laughs> is usually the fucking worst. So I don't trust anybody. I don't. There was there was something that I remember when I first encountered you on, on RuPaul's Drag Race, that, that when you were in kind of in the interviews as Roy, you know, the kind of boy yeah. out of drag interviews. I remember, I don't think I warmed to you until a good, maybe oh, yeah. two thirds of the season. Now, partly that's because... I didn't really have an like I, it wasn't revealed that oh this guy is an insult comic that's right, the whole right, right. thing that yeah. wasn't revealed until later but also I wonder if like you know that going into the show you as a yeah. performer going into a show like that know that you do not have final say on the edit you know yeah. they're going to create a story based on what happens and then work backwards 
to, mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, where do we get to at the end? Let's work backwards because we, we tapered nearly all before we release any of it. So did you, like for a stand-up, I've done a sort of very, very tangentially similar kind of show like that in the UK. Yes. And it was a huge, it was like a real challenge for me to go, I have to, I have to kind of give. Yes, And they, yes. they might not get me. And the editor, yes. I kept looking down the barrel of the camera in, in little breaks and going, do you know who I think gets a top time as editors? I've always respected editors just to try and kind of get them on side. So, so did you feel that like you, you have to cede your authority for someone who you go on stage, you're yourself, you free fall, it's all, it's all you. To go on that show in the first place is to say, well, you better I, look after me because I don't have a say in it from now on. Well, that's what that, that's why I, what I was telling you before is about I was on my way out in my mm, mind. Mm. I'm thinking this is the last hurrah. Let's see what happens. What do I have to lose? Um, and at the time, the show was not as, uh, as I was saying before, it wasn't as globally a, a big phenomenon. You know, mm. uh, it was on the brink of it. So we were I'm just thinking, as I said, very small minded. I'm in America. This is yeah. the only people that are going to see it. No big deal. Also in it, um, I knew that no one can ever fault the truth. So we are trapped and we're filming for, you know, five and a half weeks and 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 the audience is seeing it every week but we're doing it day to day to day to day to day so we're doing two days as one episode so those interviews we would do we would film the first part of the day and then we would all have to get into our interview outfits our chosen which that day i just happened to be wearing a t-shirt little did i know i'd have to wear that t-shirt for the next five and a half weeks every day because you do the <laughs> confessionals each day so there it was i was i was just doing it and by the time because you know when you start out there was 14 of us and then it went down to three or four so in that time frame you got to remember you're tired the editors are tired the story producers are tired the director's tired so i would go what do you want me to say? What are we talking about? What 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 has what has no one else said so we can just wrap this the fuck up? So it would be like, well, she implied, and I go, great. Well, what do you think about her? She's stupid. All right. And then the next day they would say, what do you think? I said, well, she's stupid. They go, well, you said that yesterday. I go, well, then she's fucking stupid. Can you use that? It was like, let's just be the voice of reason because it yeah. wasn't for me, it wasn't about me. I wasn't going to get into my personal life. You know, they asked, do you have any ex-boyfriends? Nope. How's your family? Wonderful. I'm like, this is not, you're not getting that from me. I'm not going to get a pity party. So it was just basically trying to find what was going to make sense to the viewer and to basically narrate my thoughts. I wasn't saying specific things they wanted me to say, but like set the scene. What are we talking yes. about here? What, what 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 do you need from me? Yes, you know? yes. What do you need? I know if so, someone else on the podcast, quite a very well known stand up in the UK, said exactly the same thing about a show that they did. You yeah. go into those interviews with the attitude of how can I make your life easy? Yeah, and, what do you but need? also, which is not to say that anyone can take on that strategy and win, but it completely no. suits you because, um, as you say, I mean, I'm in, really interested in that. You were thinking, well, maybe this is me. So the stakes were low, so you weren't inhibited. So that no. perfectly puts the. Um, it gives you the platform to just say the truth and just go, well, you know, what What, what do you think of the other girls? Well, fuck them. I want to win. Yeah, you know? yeah. And like, yeah. Oh, truth, truth. Whereas a truth. lot of people, and I, I think um, I've used this about, I've used this example of Laganja on that show yes. when I previously talked um, on this podcast, just purely to comedians, because I think comedians can learn so much from specifically the way that show works when drag queens are, and I, I'm, uh, with apologies to Laganja, she was a great example of this. Yes, yes, yes. Someone yes. who had contrived what she thought was her persona. 
Yes. And and it wasn't right. And it yes. didn't click and it didn't wasn't flash, genuine. And it didn't go. It wasn't genuine. And yeah. you could see Bless her tormented with yes. the struggle to go, no, no, but this is the thing I do. Yes. And and you know, Rue and everyone else are going, it's not you're not being you. You've you've come up with a funny idea. It's like you've decided in stand-up terms, it's like deciding I'm gonna be the guy wearing the pink hat. Yeah. There we go, that's no. my persona. And you go, no, 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 no. No, 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 so, work. Exactly, and, and and what was fascinating is being in that environment with her is is probably you know the first day you're there filming you are aware of the cameras you really are but then as you progress it just becomes this thing of like okay I haven't slept much we've been here all day what do we have to do what is the challenge let's get through it where I think and this could be you know a huge testament to the younger generation this is the one time I was grateful I was old because I have lived without social media because we have no phones we have no computers we have none of that to our, yeah. our access to any of this while we're filming so you're basically... not jonesing for dopamine like everyone no! else is yeah. <laughs> not at all uh, uh, and uh, at that time I didn't drink and I drink but I did not drink during the time frame we were filming and you're secluded from everybody so basically we finished filming we can't talk to one another. We're mm. sent back to our hotels separately and then we get up the next day. So all of this tension was building among, amongst the younger people because why can't we talk? Why, if, if you really want to see excitement, tell a drag queen, don't fucking talk. They lose their minds. So this is what we were dealing with aside from the fact that there was no outlet for them that I think they handled it differently. I grew up at a time where there was no social media and when you don't have nothing to do, you take a fucking nap. You take a nap, you wake up and you go do your job. So that was the one time that it worked out to my advantage. So I would see these people crumble or lose their minds because they didn't have that free world that they were so used to, you know, which yeah. is kind of insane to think about at that time. You know, you're in it. So besides besides your kind of bubbly personality, the acidic quality <laughs> and the you know I mean the energy and and like those elements that make up what we love from Bianca Del Rio in in a way that's like you you discover that that persona. That let's just yes. talk about that the relationship between Roy and Bianca and where you in that kind of drag bingo where you first felt yourself kind of going, "Oh, that works. Yeah. That works for me. That 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 resonates. Do you know what I mean? Like there are some yeah. things I guess Bianca will say very easily and other things that you might not say. Presumably there are lines you've tried or ideas you've had oh, yeah. where early doors where you've tried something and it's gone clunk and you've yeah. gone, oh, that doesn't work. They don't like that from me. Can you talk to me a little bit about those sorts of things? What what are the kind of, what are the 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 ambiguities, the things that definitely Bianca can sell and the things that you know, the jokes or yeah. the lines or the attitudes that... that well, that I definitely stick. think self-deprecation is, is very important. It's planning, explaining the obvious. You're a man in a wig, you know, and I often said, you know, if I was a prettier gay, I'd be a porn star, but this is what I'm stuck with. So letting people know that if they try that, it just cuts the bullshit. So mm. don't say, oh, you just want to be a woman. Nope, I didn't. And maybe if some more women were entertaining, I wouldn't have to look like this. You know, it, it's that type of a joke or that scenario uh, that you have to present. So therefore it cuts out a lot of that where people can't say it back to you, but also just keeping the honesty in it, keeping it real for what it is. You know, I'm in a bar. This is it. This is what I'm stuck with, you know, or when someone says, I don't like you or I don't like this and I'm going to tell the manager, do it. You know, I, I, I'm not going to lose anything because someone doesn't like it. So I guess that comes under the headline of maybe fearlessness. Just be mm -hmm. fearless, but also be fearless in the truth of the surrounding, the situation and, and, be honest. I guess that's really it. And that's always been the game. As I said, when, you, when you're writing a joke or when you're writing something, and, and I marvel at the people that can do it, it for me, 90% of it comes out of a situation or comes out of a thought 
and then I don't know where it's going to go. And that's mm. the tap dance that I enjoy. You know, it's that moment of like, here we go, here we go, here we go, you know? Um, so it, it, it's, it's, I guess that's the, the packaging of it. It's just trying to allow yourself to live in the moment and just see what comes out of your brain. And, and I often use the Rolodex as, the, as a point of reference uh, because you are presented with it. Let's say you're at a benefit for a certain type of thing or and you're dealing with a specific audience who may not know you. Is I don't sit back and think, let me cater my material to these people and discuss this. No, you just wait and see what's going to happen. You know when it hits and you know when it doesn't. You know what to skirt away from. You know when to backtrack. Never apologize. I won't apologize because to me that's ridiculous is that, you know, when someone says, well, I don't like that joke or, or that's, that's wrong or you shouldn't have said that. I go, let's break it down. Celine Dion is a singer. And she sings lots of fucking songs. And she's put out some albums that are shit and some songs we don't like. Does that make her less of a singer? No. Do we cancel her and say, no, 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 you just did not like that song or you did not like that album. And you have an option. You cannot listen to Celine Dion and you can be insane and say she's worthless piece of shit. Or you could just go about your life and live and not worry about it. So that's how I have to uh, look at it. It's not like, let me say this because this won't offend them. This won't do this. No, when you go to a funeral, I'm the one bitch laughing. I'm sorry. I'm always laughing at a funeral just because you have to, you know, because I'm thinking this bitch is dead. She'll do anything to get out of paying me my $20. You know, <laughs> uh, she owes me money. Like that's, that's just where my brain goes. And I refuse to, to, to water it down or tone it down just because someone a phantom person, usually a comment online, doesn't like it. It's not yeah. for you. That's completely fine. I'm not your politician. I'm not your mother. I don't have to agree to your standards or make you fucking happy. You know, I, I'm living my life. And as, as I've told many people, you know, is that, you know, to some people, me being gay is offensive. So do I stop being gay? Fuck off. You know, it's just, it's what it is. Do you, you know? think, do you think any words have any power or is it all up for grabs? I think it depends on where you're coming from. I, I think if, if you talk, if you say, you know, Bianca Del Rio said this and you're known as a comedian, there's your answer. You know, uh, mm -hmm. if, if I was your politician, I guess you have to watch your words wisely. Um, or, uh, you, you know, a family member or someone that was in your house. I think that take it with a grain of salt. I'm a man in a fucking wig. It's like I'm not curing cancer here. So you have to you have to some point you have to let go of this idea that the world is so structured and that everybody's going to make me happy because you're fucked. You're really fucked. If you think that even as I've told you, the gay people hated me. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> you know, when your own people turn on you, who can you run to uh, that? You can't, you just can't get lost in that. And that's where the social media comes in with, with great, with great weight of, of being presented to the world. It's amazing to have followers. It's amazing for people to come and see you. Amazing. But you can't take the compliments or the insults or the critiques the same way. You just go, great. You loved it. Wonderful. You hated it. Great. Wonderful. You can't wrap yourself up in it because then you really I fucked. totally agree. I totally agree. Do you ever slip? Do you ever find yourself wrapped up in it? Oh you God! Like, yes. You have those oh. principles. Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read the comments. Not gonna read. Yes. And then you're like, nah, okay, yes. I will. Yes. Of course I will. I mean, I might have taken me an hour to do it, but yes, you will. But then, as soon as you read that bad one, or you read someone, sometimes for me it's problematic because sometimes people try to be funny, and once again, in text, it doesn't translate. So if they're trying to be funny or say something or read you back, mm. uh, it can get misled. Uh, so I think it's important just to go. That's their opinion. That's their opinion. It does affect you, but I think I'm the asshole that went looking for it. <laughs> you know, I don't go to Reddit. I don't look at Reddit. I don't, I don't ask on that level. And, and you go, 
for me, as I say, you say it, you do it. And then the next night you go, how many people are here? Great. Is the producer happy? Great. Did we do this? Great. Because that's all that, that matters. Because there is an audience for it, which is why I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always adamant about when people say you can't say that there is an audience for it you may not like it it may not be suitable for television it may not be suitable for this which is all fine with me because i love a live audience anyway um but you look at some people for instance some talk show hosts here in america and you go well they're not that funny and you go well maybe they are but maybe they're restricted maybe they're in the confinements of i can't say this because i've got to be pc and i've got to work my way out not that everything is pc i just mean nowadays everything could be on pc you know uh, with with people's views and and i would say the goalposts or the lines you can't cross this you can't cross that so i often wonder when i see that person that's making millions uh on a television show hosting i go well, first of all, how much of this is written by other people? And second of all, how many times have those jokes gone through a system of people saying, okay, you can say that, oh, you can't say that. So I would rather have an audience that know me, that I can go and say whatever the fuck I want, and I can yeah. be my own judge of, did they get it, did they not get it, and, and perform, than to be trapped amongst the game of, I'm not saying it, no one's offering me millions. I'm <laughs> well, just saying, <laughs> no, it's not like someone said, we're going to give you this, but it, it, it is challenging because it does limit what it is. And I've had yeah. options or, or, or even TV specials and things where people will say, we would love this, but, and you go, no, I'm not willing to compromise that. That's then, great. That's so good. That's what I meant about that kind of clarity of purpose. Yeah. It's well, so, and it's, it, you don't want to be on the road forever. So no. if someone says, hey, come and don't be on the road. Come and do yeah. this. Except there's, there's a few caveats. Don't worry about them. You have to go, no, no, no. Tell me exactly what they are. What Good do you for mean? You. What so do you hard. mean? Well, and, and also with the with the, the the gay aspect of it, you know, there's they love to, they do this with everyone. Look at someone like Ellen DeGeneres, you know, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, you're put on a pedestal, you know, for, for being Ellen and amazing. And, you know, she's brilliantly funny and she's clean funny. And it's, it's this, uh, I don't say dirty words funny and stuff, but you're now backing yourself into a corner because what is happening? Everybody around you is looking for that moment for you to crack, for you to be a bitch, for you to be impossible, for you to be insane. And then what? They run with this story and the world is like, oh my God, Ellen's a bitch. Come yeah. on. It's like, yeah. this is this is the insanity because now you've backed into the corner. So for me, it's the opposite. I'm just a bitch to everybody and then they find out I'm nice. So yeah, then totally. it, it works out. That's the scandal. It works <laughs> it out. turns out Bianca is a nice person. Get it right. cancelled. Right, so, right. <laughs> so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about reading. Now, I know this yes. is uh, just for the uninitiated reading. I guess it's like a kind of immediate improvised roast joke. Right. Yes. So you is that is that fair? Are you coming at this no. from a comics perspective? No, it's brilliant because a, a roast is the best way to use it because I think now that's the last little area where you can be honestly brutal as oh, well according to the gays. You can mm. when they whenever they're doing something on for instance drag race, they'll say we're doing a roast, which means everybody it's okay if we say what we say. I just call it comedy. But to them um or roast is the safest way to go about it. So it's it's one of those things. It's something based in truth that has that little kicker at the end <laughs> that can either make you cackle when it's about you or cry. <laughs> so uh, I think it's important. <laughs> and and you're like, do you ever? Because I know this is a thing that happens in your life. People come up to you in the street out of yes. drag and say, "Hey, read me, read me, read me," yes. because everyone's desperate to be kind of shot down by the fastest gun in town. You know? Yes, <laughs> that's what. Which they is want. well, in America, it's pretty easy. We got a lot of guns, yeah. but yeah. The, the crazy 
craziness of it is just that that's just not how it works. You know, if I'm walking down the street or I'm going to H&M or I'm in Boots, for instance, they go, oh, well, very you're good, me. very local. You know, it's like, it's impossible <laughs> that, that like, hello, I'm just, you know, here picking up hemorrhoid cream. I don't have the mindset to tackle this right now. Uh, so I, I try to just let people know that it doesn't work that way. Now, give me a minute or when I'm sitting back and I'm observing something, I can mm. be at Starbucks or Boots and form an opinion and have 10 horrible things to say about someone I don't know. But in the game of it, it doesn't always work transitionally that way with people, you know, and you have to let them know, like, come to the show, asshole. Like, you know, come on. Yeah, yeah. And do you, do, do, does, do your reads always like your material? Like, are they always 100% spontaneous or are there um, bits well, that you might have thought, well, there's a, like you see someone, there's a chink in the armor. Oh, and honey. Thinking, if that ever comes up, I'll just keep that in my back pocket. <laughs> and it's always the classics. You always got the classics that are in there or, or those things that you know that will work for that moment. Like one of the, one of the ones I use when I, when I do question and answer for the show, someone will say, you know, Bianca, you know, I love you so much. Would you please read me? And then I go, listen, I'm not going to do it. I have no desire to do it because that is what you want. I said, that's not what this is about. I said, and be honest, there is nothing hateful or horrible or mean that I could say to you that God has already not done to you physically. So why would I even bother to try to say something horrible? Look what Jesus made you. That's the biggest read of all. So it leaves you this open moment of like, look, I'm not going to sit there and hound somebody that I don't know, especially somebody, so something's wrong with somebody if sure. they say, please read me. You know, like that's not the best thing. Um, so in it, in it, I, there, there are those standards or those classics that you keep in your back pocket. Yes, yes. But it's also usually just being totally yeah, observant. I, I remember RuPaul saying in an interview that uh, he always had, he always made sure he had five things to say for every occasion. Yes. Which I completely yes. believe because that's one of Ru's great qualities is permanently unruffled. Completely. Like, you know, like uh, able to do, able to kind of completely take control and have all that authority, but with no sense of like, oh, here I go. You know, yes. none of that. It's like a swan, right? Yes, and, and that's also the amazing thing about Rue is that, you know, we have mutual friends that have known Rue for quite some time. And that was one of the my favorite things about getting to do Drag Race was, you know, obviously the, the experience and the platform. But um, that Rue, if you made Rue laugh, you were set. You know, and that became my my thing because and I'm you like, made oh, Rue laugh all the time. I, I was like, if Rue gets this, like if Rue gets yeah. the sense of humor, because it's probably you're probably saying the shit Rue can't say. That it's that moment <laughs> of like, because you know, yes. I know yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I not know speaking Rue truth, is not speaking truth to the king, but speaking truth right. on behalf. Yeah, yes, right. okay. yes. So I, I know that he gets it. I know he's rotted like we are. Uh, we're, we're old school rotted. Uh, so I think that that was also a, a point that I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if 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 he's getting it, then this is this is a good thing, you know. Or yeah. when the cameraman's laughing, you know, that type of thing. You're like, okay, so this is not just specifically to this. Uh, sure. It's that you can then just if they're getting it, it makes sense. It's translating, I guess. And with those, because I, I know you, you know, swear blind, there's no writing process. But like, if you look at some of the, some of the reads, like just one I made a note of, she's so gay, even her asshole has a lisp. Yeah. Right? You didn't come <laughs> up with that on the spur of the uh, moment. No, I think it's happened. I think it happened in a, in a, in a, in a bar setting or in a moment. Okay. And then that's one of those oh, that you know works. Improvised once and then put it oh, in the God. Well, that was, yeah. you know, and you got to remember now, I, I probably didn't specify this, but when you're in the bars at one in the morning, you're drinking as well. So there's no filter. Uh, and that's usually where it was just moments, things just come out. And then you eventually 
build up to it. And then you go, okay, this is it. Like I said, it wasn't a conscious effort to say, I'm going into insult comedy. It was sure. only labeled insult comedy by other people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it turns out, so they've given a name to what I do. Yeah, well, I just called it truth, <laughs> honesty. <laughs> on my little kind of research odyssey before this interview, one of the, the, the most exciting discoveries for me was <clears throat> there are some sections up on YouTube. I'm not quite sure where they're from. I think they're like a pre-show for uh, some sort of, like a season launch. Oh, and, yeah. and it's you and Lady Bunny. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> just improvising with one another. And honestly, it's like watching Jeff Ross and Dave Attell do bumping mics. The pair but I- of you are so comfortable with each other on stage and so prepared to be vicious to one another. Yes. With this lovely rhythm, because obviously Lady Bunny is one of the legends of the, the, the drag scene. Oh, brilliant. And yes. And, and, but it's just so, like, it's just very happy letting you flutter around like a little bird and then say yes. something awful. And then, you know, the yeah. relationship between you, it's, it's an incredible double act. No, and listen, first of all, that's a huge compliment. But but the advantage is I, you know, I grew up idolizing Bunny. And, and this was way before the internet. This is way before you had to go to a drag queen show. And she would frequent New Orleans, where I was from. And I met her. And there was <laughs> one night she came over to see the show that I was doing at the bar. And I was hosting a drag night where everyone was doing different illusions. So someone was Barbara Streisand. Someone was Bette Midler. The usual stick. And I was the host of the show. And at the end of the show, I do share because I was brown and had a big nose and so that was just the that was when she had when she was brown and had a big nose so um I was doing that and Bunny came up to me after and and you know said you know this is all great and everything she goes but you know there's other people that are going to do share better than you there's other people that can commit to it there's people that are going to have surgery to look like share she goes but you're funny as yourself so she goes find your look find your niche and do that and I thought that was great advice and many years later about what maybe 18 years later, we're doing a show together in New York working. And I was sitting back reminiscing. And I said, you know, one night you came up to me and and you told me blah, 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 blah. And she just looks at me dead in my face. And she goes, girl, I told you to get hit by a fucking bus fag. And that was that. (laughs) So it's that moment of like, okay, this is what it is. So she gave really good advice. And and, and truthfully, she's also stayed true to who she is. You know, you see her, you immediately identify the wig, the outfit, the look, uh, the jokes, the sense of humor. And it's a commitment to doing what you're doing. And a lot of the younger performers or, or, or younger advocates online will say, I find this offensive. I don't like it. And she's like, mm-hmm. fuck it. Fuck it. You don't get it. It doesn't matter. So there is proof that you can function in a career and do what works best for you. I mean, even Joan Rivers, you know, look at that as an example. Yeah. You know, it's that you you stay true to what it is. Everybody's not going to get it. And Bunny is definitely one of those people. And it's a pleasure to work with her because it's highly unfiltered um, and and there's nothing she can say to me that's going to make me feel bad. You know, I, I don't think, I, I don't take offense to it. I sit back and think, fuck, that's good. I wish I would have thought yeah. of that. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That's a, it, part of the joy of watching it is seeing your kind of mutual respect for how yes. horrible each other are being. And kind of like, you know, that line about like, she's proof that cocaine doesn't make you eat less. It makes you eat faster. Or so, you know, I mean, God. It's true. But look at her. Am I wrong? I mean, this is, this is it, you know? Uh, but it, it's 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 that it, it's great to be there and to you know it's basically passing the baton and going back and forth and that that authority love. There's very few people you can do that with, but yeah. she was she's definitely one of them. Before we wrap up, I just want to talk to you about what, if any, vulnerabilities there are for you as a as a performer. When you like, do you get nervous before shows? Do you? Um, it, it does. I feel like you're going to say no because you just well, know the territory. 
No, no, no. There's there's two things. So usually what happens for me is we, we get into a city, let's say midday, because we're traveling by bus, depending on where we are. So we get to the venue that day uh, at around noon when we're allowed in. And then we get in, I unpack all of my stuff, I set up, I do my makeup. And before every show now with these tours that I do, I have 150 to 200 people to do a meet and greet with. So I then take photos uh, and, and schmooze with the people. So you're preparing for that. Let's say that starts at 5.30. So 5.30, all these people are in line to meet you, which means, number one, if you're having a horrible day, your life is not right, your eyelash is crooked, you forget all that bullshit when you see 150, 150 to 200 people paid extra to even take a picture with your faggoty ass, you go, okay, this is great. So you meet them, and what's, what works out well for me is that it's kind of breaking the ice. They're extremely nervous when they see me, but for me, it's just... I can now filter out who's who. So they're usually the first 10 to 15 rows of the audience. So I start to figure out who's the chatty bitch, who's the drunk one, who's in a miserable relationship. And all of that becomes the ammunition for that night. So when I go on stage, when I go on stage, I then go, all of this could go to shit. But I've got these 15 people out of all of them that stand out in my mind that if I need them, they're there. Also, there. If the whole show goes to shit, I've got the first ten rows who really like me, so <laughs> I know that much. So that's usually the barometer. So when I don't have a meet and greet before a show, like for instance, if I'm doing a benefit or something and I go in, I am a little antsy because I am trying to figure out where to go. You know, where do I go with it? Where this, it's kind of like they've come to me. I've met them. I filtered the first few rows. I know that I'm safe with them. Now I have to build outwards so i so there's there's I, I there's a difference i think between nerves and energy i don't go oh my god oh my god oh my god um i'm i'm more like all right how quickly can i win them over what what is the progression this so that's why in the beginnings of starting a show it's always like where do i go where do i go where do i go where once you know the key points that work and i keep on my table each night just just in case i drift off into la la land when i'm talking to people in the audience i do keep my pinpoints of you know, COVID, this, that, 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 you know, um, to just keep me on track, you know? And I also keep a clock. I'm another one. I have to keep a clock because sometimes it can be 15 minutes. It could be 30 minutes on something. And I'm realizing I got to get out of here because this theater's union and I'm not paying for another 600 men standing behind me for another, you know, two hours. So that plays in the part of it, you know, is, is that keeps me on track and that keeps the clock keeps me grounded. Uh, the, the paperwork keeps me on track, but the audience is, is what helps you ride through it. You know, that's the best part about it. That's you an know? incredible. I love the elegance of that system. It's a meet <laughs> yes. and greet and they're paying you to yeah. assess them and learn from them and turn it into a yes. better show. That's incredible. And, and you know how it is. Like when you're one-on-one with somebody, you can, you, you, you see it, you feel it, you know, their energy, you know what they're about, you know, and there's people that, that just don't have words and they get nervous or they get excited. Or some people that are just like, oh, this bitch. Oh, I, she had me. And then you're like accepting all of this information, you know, and then it gets used against you later, which is, which yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. That's wonderful. Did you just to, just to finish up then? Sure. What, what is the, what is the one bit that you are most proud of or the one line? Is there one that particularly sticks in your mind that just kind of oh, leapt God. out and you went, there we go. That's me. If that was on, if that was on my tombstone, that wouldn't be bad. Oh God. What? Let me, th- oh, oh well, ooh, well, I usually like the, the most rotted, the most horrible stuff, but <laughs> I, I think this will give the context is that there was, uh, I was doing this thing called um, In Bed with Joan Rivers, uh, which was her, yes. uh, uh, her YouTube show that she was doing. 
And um, they called me up. They said, would you do it? Would you do it? And I said, like, fuck yeah. Who wouldn't? You know, it's, it's Joan Rivers. Uh, and I remember being in the moment and, and sitting back. And there was no... That day, I would say I was nervous. You were nervous. But it, it was a huge credit to her that she was extremely comfortable, laid back. And here was a person who could, you know, run through the interview because I'm a nobody. She could literally just go about her business and it could be done. But sat back and would, uh, would not, not so much to be the straight man, but allowed me to present whatever I wanted to present. And there was, uh, there was one joke. Uh, what was it? It was about Michael Jackson, uh, <laughs> which, of course, someone's going to have a problem with. But uh, it was something about, um, uh, what was it about Michael Jackson? What's the setup to it? I don't even remember my own joke. What was the setup to it that Joan started laughing? And I went, oh, this is, that's all I need. Uh, it was, uh, 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 so, uh, so, uh, I know the punchline. I can't remember what I say before it. <laughs> Wait, my brain's going, what the fuck? Anyway, so we're sitting there and we're having this moment and, and someone says, uh, that they were uh, talking about somebody being a school teacher. Was that what it was? Was it about school teacher? Is it school teacher or uncle? It's something rotted. And, and they said, oh, well, I'm a school teacher. I said, well, somebody's got to fuck the kids now that Michael Jackson's dead. And she started cackling. And it was this <laughs> moment when I'm going, Okay, I don't know if it's even funny, but Joan Rivers was laughing. I'm going, this is it. This is what you go away with. And also just just, just knowing that, once again, it just goes back to your your instincts in the moment of going. Because I never know what I say after. Clearly, I just pointed it out. <laughs> but, but when you're in it, you're just like, oh, it worked. It landed. Great. Moving on. You know? So that's kind of the mindset that you have. So people usually tell me later, you said, I'm like, oh, you know, if I, if I really thought about it, I probably wouldn't have. So that was when, just making Joan Rivers laugh was really the best thing that, that, that ever happened for me. And that day I was like, this is amazing. And then she died. See what happens when I get in bed with a woman? Dead. <laughs> but that's, that was, that was the magic of it, you know? So, so just, just the doors that Drag Race has opened and the opportunities, the things that have come my way have been amazing. But I have to say it all starts with being in a shitty bar with people that didn't want to see you because it definitely makes you appreciate all of it. <laughs> you know, if I, if I, if I wouldn't have had those moments, this wouldn't mean shit. You know, you're going to be at the Edinburgh Festival. What's the yes. venue? The Lo the Loman Theatre. That's I not guess. what I've heard of. Is that like? A, I guess. I guess. Too. I, I, you know what? <laughs> I just show presents. up. I'm just. I'm just beyond excited. I'm in one place. One uh, one night, I don't have to schlep. I don't have to pack up my drag every night. That I have free time to go and see yeah. other shows, which I'm excited about, and and just to be there. You know, as we always say, you know, you're in Scotland. You can drink, and no one fucking judges you. This is brilliant. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. Last question. Are you yes. happy? Uh, what's happy? Define happy. <laughs> Am I happy at the moment? Yeah. You know, I mean, oh, I think I think that's where people go wrong, where people assume that you're going to be happy. There's still work. There's always something to think about. There's always fires to put out, which is how I live my life. Um, happy. Mm. But am I miserable? Mm. You know, I, I think it comes in waves. Uh, I think I'm happiest when I'm when I'm on stage working. Yeah, that's the best. The lead into it is never fun. The travel is not that exciting. Schlepping your own bags, not that good. Shaving every day, fucking nightmare. But the payoff, having two thousand to thirteen thousand people laughing, or to or to be in a moment where you go, some sick thought in my mind is something people can relate to. That's fucking happiness. But you can't stay there. You can't stay in that happiness. Nor can you assume you're going to achieve that every night. You also have to be fucking honest when you come off stage and go, not my best. Actually, my sister and I laugh about it because every time I come off stage, there is I'm bitching about something. And he's like, do you ever? I go, no, motherfucker, nothing. Nothing makes me happy. I could be at Carnegie Hall or at some shit place with folding chairs and no air condition. You still bat, you go, 
fucking Carnegie Hall. I mean, honestly, they could have. And you're like, you're in Carnegie Hall. So you can't, you can't live there. You can't live there. Nor do, nor do you look back. It's done. Moving on. You know, you, you got to keep navigating through it. So maybe one day I'll find happiness. Maybe. But for the time being, little pockets here and there. Yeah, sure. I'm not an idiot. So they're, they're pockets. And, it, and I always think, too, it could be worse. It could be worse. You know, I see some of my friends with kids in a cubicle. Could be worse. <laughs> could be much worse <laughs> thank you so much i was just leaving a pause there because that is by some distance the longest answer that question is oh good <laughs> you see what happens i'm that neurotic i can't even go yes i'm happy because i don't know what the fuck is happiness i don't know you know just at the very at the very beginning, we talked because we we kind of went through some uh, um, some negotiations uh, to yes. determine whether we were going to see each other for this or not because yeah. it's it's a non makeup day for you. Yeah. So is this is this a Bianca Del Rio episode? Is it a Roy uh, yeah, Haylock oh God, yeah, episode? Yeah, you could do that. Oh yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it doesn't okay. matter. I mean, look, and do you because your voice is different, right? You stick, I guess. You, I, I think it's also like a, a stage voice. I mean, I, I don't ever think about it. I'm not that method where I'm like Dame Edna, Barry Humphreys, where it becomes a whole shtick. But I sure. think it, it becomes a little more heightened when you know you have to, or it's yeah, all okay. in the delivery of what you're saying. You know, with Bianca, you're not really going to get serious answers. It's going to, you're going to get this. So when people bring it back to reality and say, well, yeah. what's your process? I can't talk like an asshole the whole time. Yeah. So you have to be a little more, you have to be a little more human, you know? I thought your process was talk like an asshole the whole time that's no, what we established no, that's, on, that's on stage that's on stage but that's there's heightened asshole and then there's common asshole so currently it's common asshole and then it gets heightened on stage I see. but you're yes. not you're not precious about kind of like this is the i'm bianca now and i'm right now. no no i mean uh, you've seen me do i look like i care no uh i think it's just the packaging to do what you do you know and and if they know you for that then you do it i'm not that insane person where you just become oh i can't i can't no 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 it is what it is you know they get it or they don't. And I think that was also the benefit to Drag Race, you know, is that before no one gave a shit what you look like at, out of drag. This is before the internet and you were just working in a bar. So with, with Drag Race, I've become obviously aware that people know you in and out of drag. So it's never, it's not like now, you know, it's, it's definitely part of it now. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I really enjoyed this. It's a well, pleasure great. talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I usually hate interviews. This was good. Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I'll enjoy, see you soon. Enjoy the rest of the tour. I'll see you in Edinburgh. So that was Bianca Del Rio. A joy, an absolute joy. Honestly, since seeing her live on the night of my engagement... Um, when me and my partner were in San Francisco, I said partner then quickly because I've just said engagement, so I couldn't say girlfriend because by that point she wasn't. My fiancé, now wife. My previous girlfriend, then fiancé, now wife, slash main guy and backup guy. Um, Mrs. Goldsmith and I saw Bianca Del Rio just absolutely tear the roof off that gig. I was screaming laughing. And I'm going to tell you in the postamble about some other shows I've seen recently at the Edinburgh Festival and my week-long 30-show marathon, which also had me screaming laughing. Um, some of which, and I'm not making any claims or offers at this stage, but some of which you might want to get and see um, because who knows who's going to get uh, invited on the podcast sometime soon. I saw some amazing acts, so do your research with a list in the postamble coming up. Thank you to Bianca. Thank you once again uh, to Flick for uh, doing some incredible PR shenanigans and indeed machinations 
uh, for making that work. That's Flick Morris. Thank you so much for your help. I hope all of your acts are flourishing at the festival. Um, uh, thank you to Jamie as well, who helped us set up uh, Bianca's assistant. Remember, follow Bianca Del Rio at the Bianca Del Rio and all of that business. And that'll do for now. Oh, God, I've got to turn off the advert that tells you about my Edinburgh show. If there was an advert at the beginning of this episode that tells you about my Edinburgh show, I apologise. I'm going to try and turn it off right now, but it doesn't always immediately take effect. Thank you, everybody. Uh, not everybody, you, you, the specific listener. Um, I will post Amble at you in just a moment. But thanks. That was Bianca. Don't miss her. Goodbye forever. So, it's done. I'm so sad not to be there. I've been an absolute shit for about four days now. Because I... It's Look, it's not just... And I'm, I'm getting over it now. I'm getting over it. I'm realising that I'm grieving. I'm grieving not being in Edinburgh. And that's a process. I mean, that sounds fucking ridiculous. Apologies to anyone who is literally grieving. But I'm metaphorically grieving. Rather than just being a bit miffed, I have just been... Here's the thing. Whatever Edinburgh is to you, to me, it is not simply a place where nearly all my friends are, or loads of my friends, loads of my street performing buddies, my fellow comedians. It's not only a place where little me is sort of quasi-famous. I sort of get recognised in the street in Edinburgh in a way that happens extremely infrequently outside of that fair festival. Um, not only is that sort of pleasant and pleasurable and I'm up there doing shows and writing every day and putting the new stuff in the show every day in a way that I hope I do next year, even when it is not technically a work in progress. But God, that'll keep you alive and keep your your heart racing and your mind kind of churning over ideas and you feel like the whole thing is live and alive and like a living coral reef rather than a pretty picture you've painted. Not only is it a place to perform and earn money performing and feel like we're the normal ones for a change and the rest of the world is mad for carrying on in whatever shit rat race it is that anyone who isn't a comedian is trapped in. Yeah, I'm looking at you, professional surfboarders. Um, Not only is it all those things, but to me, it is also this sort of totemic place and time it's like this what's the what's the name of the it's fiddler's green right it's it's this magical thing that only appears once every million years and and even more than that it is in a way which due to extensive therapy i know not to be all that helpful it is part of my psyche in that it is sort of emblematic of the experience of being a comic the experience of being a performer making people laugh and how much that made made me feel whole and feel like myself as a teenager. I was not happy a lot of the time and I would go and perform and the act of performing would make me go, Jesus, I'm a superhero, this is incredible, in a way that I now know to be not all that helpful psychologically. But nonetheless, it was good and it was positive and yes, I may have banged on about myself and banged on about my life more than the average person, but it didn't hurt the environment and it didn't you know what I mean? It didn't do it. It wasn't cynical. It was just this magical, pure thing where I, I look, I'm acting as if I'm retired. I'm not. I'm only missing three weeks of a bloody festival. But my point is, the importance of that festival to young Stu was incalculable. So that element of, of me and maybe of you, whereby the act of making people laugh, transforms you. It's your Shazam, right? It turns you from being the weedy kid into the superhero where you value yourself as the weedy kid should value himself but or themselves but does not. 
that that it's the thatness of it that I'm absolutely jonesing for and freaking out about. I've had days to think about this now. Is it just is it just that I've got FOMO? Is it just that I'm jealous? Is it just that I feel like I don't have my finger on the pulse like I normally would? It's not just that. It's the something else. It's the fact that it's, you know, the bit, you know, the bit, you know, the bit in the comic book of the Dark Knight Returns where he Superman gets hit by a nuclear missile. And because his power is based on the sun, I don't email me. I don't care. But it's something like as far as I understand the narrative of it, he's been hit by a nuclear missile. And you see this incredible image of him struck by lightning and kind of just riven, just in tatters. And then he grabs this. He flies down to Earth in bits and just not literally in bits, in one big bit. And he grabs, I think, from what I remember, it's the he grabs a plant. And in doing so, he sucks the energy solar energy question why he sucks the kind of life force out of a rainforest i didn't know this was in his skill set but holy shit it works dramatically even bearing in mind the enormous challenges that we have in separating the art from the artist in this case or indeed the writer nonetheless he the point of the the images he says mother and he's talking to the earth the sun he's talking to sort of life mother he says you are so good to me and as he says that you see his cave you just see this the Superman emblem on his chest caved and sunken in, gradually tightening as his chest becomes stronger and he kind of embodies his true self once again. That's what the bloody Edinburgh Festival is to me. And being away from it is a little bit like being hit by a nuclear missile. <laughs> it's nothing like that. But, it, you know, being away from it, all I need to do is grow the fuck up. So hard to do. In my forties, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm no longer the hit by a missile version of myself that desperately needs that. But I associate it with that. That's the thing I'm missing. It's not the parties and the. God, I did street shows. I joined in some some uh, successful failures uh, street shows, which is a sort of loose collective of whoever. Um, some so whoever of the of the cool guys of my friends, my group of of buddies. I mean, that's not how they describe themselves. <laughs> it's, it's whoever's available from Stu's friends. But do you know what I mean? It's of a particular group, including real, deeply important people to me, um, but who form my kind of pedigree, my family tree of street performing, getting together and rehearsing behind St Giles Cathedral and um, and just like make having silly ideas for jokes then going out and doing them and feeling great about it because I'm up there working really hard and writing and the show flew let's focus on that the show a shared illusion not it's I mean the currently working title not I don't think I'm sticking with that it was so good thank you to everyone that came my god it was I I leveled up man I leveled up and I'm talking about stuff that's really important to me and I'm doing so in a way that feels like I'm using my actual superpower. You never get the superpowers you want. I feel like the guy who uh, in the show Heroes, which is no, I, I don't consider that the the Bible of superhero stories by any means. But you remember there's the guy Hero and then his little buddy, whose name I don't remember. And it turns out his power is being a sidekick. His presence boosts everyone else's powers. Brilliant. But it's not the one you dream of as a kid, right? Turns out my superpower, one of them in comedy, is being personable and clear and 
easy to understand and easy to get along with. And those things are, you know, sure, I've uh, I've leveraged them for fun and profit, but they're really useful when you're trying to talk about difficult subjects with people. I'm not going to go into detail at the moment about what the show's about. If you saw it, you know, but... It's uh, And, you know, if you've been listening to this for any time or watching, sort of reading any of my tweets, you'll probably have an inkling. But I don't want to focus on the subject matter so much as me recognising that I have kind of levelled up in terms of authenticity. And that's exactly what I wanted to happen. And it has happened. And I'm fucking so chuffed. Thank you for listening to this and by, in whatever small measure, being part of that. Unless you've picked this up casually just to hear Bianca, in which case I do this a lot. Please stick around for more of these. So, there we go. God, it was good. It was good. But that's enough about my bit of it. Um, the street shows were great. The gigs were great. Thanks to everyone that invited me along for things, especially those loads of them I couldn't do. I know, I'm sorry. Um, however, I'm just going to give you a bit of a rundown of the things I saw. Oh, hang on, I'll press the wrong button. Um, here we go. I saw... In no order, in, in, in order in, in the order in which I saw them, and let's assume all of these were excellent. I'm going to mention a few of them as I as I go that I thought were particularly fantastic. Maisie Adam, Zach Zucker, um, absolutely love Zach. Tarot, I love how casual their approach to sketches is. Uh, Danielle Walker was someone who was so brilliant to see. I saw her years ago in Australia, and she's just kind of grown into this absolutely loopy, wonderful, wonderful comic. Um, Crybabies. I think I stood up. I think I gave Crybabies a standing ovation. Cellier AB was brilliant. Sakiza was brilliant. I did Dirty Scrabble with Rob Rouse. That's probably still going on. I think that's nightly. That's really funny and exactly what it sounds. Grace Petrie blew my head off. She was so, so good and so nuanced and so compassionate in arguing against awful bigotry and understanding it, try, making an attempt to understand it from the point of the view of the bigots. And the, the empathy was extraordinary. And fucking hell, that's a funny show. Esther Manito, just brilliant. First time I'd seen her properly, and she, that's someone I was direct, sending loads and loads of people to. Tom Walker, what an imagination. Jordan Gray, of this parish, <laughs> to Kermode again, to Mayo again briefly. Jordan Gray it will probably win something, and rightly so, and deserves to, not that awards mean anything. I look forward to messaging Jordan Gray and saying congratulations on your meaningless award. Jordan Gray is ComCom alumni, I think that's fair, and um, alumna. Uh, Jordan Gray, she is a, a ComCom alu alumna. <laughs> I think it's the right word. Um, and uh, the show is incredible. I'd have seen it anyway, but to be part of a small emotional moment that Jordan and I had in a kind of um, just a just a really lovely full circle kind of a thing that I think we both shared. It's an extraordinary piece of work. Absolutely brilliant and just consistently, constantly funny. Next, Cirque Alphonse. If you're, if you're up there, if you see one circus show, if you can't be, you know, if you're on the high street, see some street shows. Look out for Vince Henderson, look out for Herbie Treehead, look out for Unstable Acts, Abel, Mabel and Corey and Tash, whatever they're calling themselves. But if you see a circus show and it's not cheap, but you'll remember it for the rest of your life. Cirque Alphonse on the, on the meadows in the Underbelly Circus Hub is brilliant. Finley Christie, again, uh, arguably alumnus, um, just fantastic. And again, we'll probably get nominated for or win a thing. Um Josh Glantz, such a pleasure to see Josh. So many people had uh, recommended him to me. He's very, very funny. Lloyd Langford, probably the best stand-up, stand-up show up there. Um, Consignia, I finally saw Consignia, and it absolutely 
it did exactly what it was supposed to, which is it was hilarious and painful and didactic and astonishing. So well done, everyone um, in Consignia. If you want to quote me ever, get in touch with me. Don't just use that as bollocks, but I'll think of something better for you. Then Kwame Asante, fantastic. Um, Vigu Ven was brilliant. Um, Matt Winning uh, is very dear to my heart, of course. Kieran Hines as King Rodolfo, really, really laughed at that. Mr Chonkers. Such fun to see Mr. Chonkers. Um, a sort of clown show, a solo clown, a sort of clown show. It's a clown show, but a kind of theatre stand-up-y clown show and beautifully performed. Um, who else did I then see? Johnny and the Baptists tore the roof off. God, they were so good. Uh, Tessa Coates was fantastic. Um, I, I missed Andrew White because of, I misunderstood the timing and I got it wrong, but I've been gigging loads with Andrew White uh, in the run-up to the festival. You must go and see Andrew White, but brackets, but not in a gay way. Superb. Um, James Roque, uh, a fabulous New Zealand comic making his uh, his Edinburgh debut. Really, really funny. Uh, Matt Ewins was the best I've seen Matt Ewins. And I've seen Matt Ewins be incredibly fucking good. We're talking high production values. The night I saw it, absolutely none of the tech went wrong. And I screamed laughing for an hour. I saw Stompy's show. Okay, so Stompy is Richard Stamp, um, who did a show called uh, Dick, which is about uh, a terrible form of penile cancer that uh, Richard suffered and as a result had a pendectomy, which is exactly what you fear it is. And it is an incredibly powerful piece of work by a person who is still going through and processing a lot of those emotions and who is also an incredibly vibrant live performer. I, I, I will remember that show forever. Alistair Beckett King, sensational as always. The Anna Man, the death of Anna Man. I was crying for about ten minutes at the end, enjoying it but crying, like not tears of laughter, tears of oh god, actual stuff. Just an, an enormous achievement uh, by Colin Holt there. And then I had so many things booked in, and I just ran out of energy having seen something like 25, 30 shows in a week. Um, I made it to Sheeps, which really, really made me laugh, of course. And I missed. Here are some things. Here are some things that I intended to see but missed. Laura Davis. I wish I'd seen Laura Davis. Ali Bryce, Anna Magliano, uh, Lou Sanders. I really wanted to catch up with Sam Morrison. I like the look of. Um, Britannic uh, was recommended to me Jos Norris is flying I wish I'd seen that I wish I'd seen Gary Starr's show I wish I'd seen Foil Arms and Hog I wish I'd seen Leo Reich I wish I'd seen uh, Dan Rath I heard a lot of great things about Dan Rath uh, what else did I not Dahlia Malik I didn't manage to see I really wanted to apologies to everyone go and see Pavementology which is a walk you can go on where my friend Dave Southern who's a, a fabulous street performer who's been both walk by and circle show kind of both <laughs> poacher and gamekeeper should we say um, no kind of of, uh, poacher and slightly different poacher um he does a show uh, he does a walking tour called pavementology about the sort of uh, f what, 40 year history of street performing in edinburgh and um, that is an absolute joy and go and see boxtail soup as well uh, some friends of mine who have an incredible theater show a uh, theater company called boxtail soup they do brilliant brilliant theater puppetry type stuff they're on at 10 45 i think at the underbelly with a show based on gulliver's travels it's called gulliver that is excellent as well and i think that's all i had time for God, it was good. God, it was good. And and hurting it, leaving, hurting it leaves so much. <laughs> I'm leaving it. Oh, Christ. Right, that'll do me. God, can we, I'm going to delete all of my apps and turn my phone off and melt my laptop in a furnace and, and just pretend that I'm not missing it all. Have a wonderful time. Do me a favour. Wait, at me, right? At, at, at me... At ComComPod, I sounded like Mars Attacks then. At ComComPod, just get in touch on Twitter when you've seen something incredible. I don't, I'm not going to read reviews, it'd be too painful, but I'm happy to read, in many ways, I'm happy to read uh, pithy one sentence long reviews. 
I tell you what, let's make it a game. I'd like a seven-word review, please, of anything incredible you've seen. You can submit that on Twitter, at ComComPod, or in the Comedians Comedian podcast Facebook group. Seven-word reviews, please, and be as effusive and ebullient in your praise, but also florid in your language as you possibly can. Thank you. That'll do me. I'm going to go to Camp Festival and do comedy for kids, and the Boutros is going to do his first official, official gig, and I'm going to give him a tenner. So it's in a paid gig when he's six in order not to ruin his life, but so that he gets it all out of his system now. Um, I'll see you at Camp Festival if you're there. If not, I'm going on proper holiday after that, and then I'm going to come back at the beginning of September. I'm going to go back into the studio, by which I mean start emailing people and trying to sort out a bunch more episodes. That's 412. Not entirely in a row, but the last 20-odd were in a row, so that'll do me for now. Have a wonderful, wonderful summer, and uh, don't fly anywhere. I'll see you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.